You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. God our Father, we praise you for the gift of your Son, that in His death you demonstrate your love for us. And by the Spirit, you seal your love for us. Amen. There was once a rail bridge that spanned across a large river. Every day as trains approached, the controller would lower that bridge to allow the trains to pass. The the controller, he, he was an older and a gentle man who lived with his one and only son. And he loved this boy more than anyone else. He loved this boy more than his own life. And every day, his son would accompany him to work. You see, his son was so proud of his dad. But one day, as the man was walking home with his son, he heard the sound of the train in the distance. He looked at his watch. The last train should have already passed. But there it was. An unexpected train with hundreds of passengers on board. And the controller realized the bridge was up. The man and his son ran as fast as they could back to the control room to lower that bridge in time. The man told his son to to wait by the lake, but his son wanted nothing more than to help his dad. So what did the boy do? He climbed down the bridge to access the emergency lever. But as he was climbing, he stumbled and he fell into the gears of that bridge. He cried out for his father's help, Dad, save me. The man heard the cries of his son and everything in him wanted just to go down and save his son out of the gears of that bridge. But as he was about to go, he saw that train accelerating faster and faster and faster. And in that moment, the train controller faced an impossible choice. If I pull the lever, I I crush my son. But if I don't, I I crash the train. What do I do? Who do I save? Do I save my son or do I save the world? And then he does the unthinkable. He pulls the lever. He lowers the bridge. He crushes his son. Friends, as we hear that, don't our minds go to the gospel with God as that controller who does the unthinkable, who pulls that lever, who lowers the bridge, who crushes his son, all to save us, passengers on that train. It's a moving story, isn't it? It's a powerful story. I'll tell you what, I hate that story. I hate that story. Because the father is not a helpless man who is cornered into an impossible decision. The son is not a hapless boy who's unwillingly crushed by tragedy. And you and I, we're not innocent passengers on a train with somehow no moral responsibility. 
Oh, I hate that story. It totally undermines our salvation. It says that the Father didn't actually want to save us. In fact, it says that the Father didn't even love us. He didn't save us because he wanted to. No, he saved us because he had to. Let me tell you the most galling part of that story. It pits the Father against the Son. It divides the Trinity. You see, the Father crushes the Son, but the Son does not want to be crushed. No, friends, today I want all of us to know that there is one God who has one plan for one people. The Father planned your salvation. The Son accomplished your salvation. And the Spirit seals your salvation. Isn't it strange that when we say the words, I love you, we can mean so many different things by it. You know, for some people, the words, I love you, as we said, really means I need you. It's a dependent love. For other people, the words, I love you, really means I love you, but only if. So the father says to his daughter, I love you, but only if you obey me. The wife says to her husband, I love you, but only if you provide a certain lifestyle. The friend says to his best mate, I love you, but only if you pick up my calls. You see, that's not a dependent love, but it's a conditional love, isn't it? When we say, I love you, we actually kind of wield it as a threat to bend the other person to our will and our desires. And when they let us down, what do we do? We withdraw our love. We punish them by taking a step back from the relationship. That's not love. That's just manipulation. But isn't that how sometimes we think about God's love for us? We think that, well, God loves us, but only if we obey him. That God saves us, but only if we're good enough for him. And so, when we fail him, as we always do, we're afraid that he'll withdraw his love. We're afraid that he'll take a step back from the relationship. We're afraid that he'll kick us out of the kingdom and strip us of our salvation. But God doesn't love like we do. He loved us because he loved us. He planned our salvation, not based on our obedience. No, he planned our salvation from eternity past. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells us that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. In 1 Peter 1, we read that you and I, we've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And in Romans 8, we see this beautiful chain of salvation that starts all the way back before time itself. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. You see, friends, God's love for you God's plan for your salvation existed before time itself began. And that means that there is nothing you have done and there is nothing you can do that will ever change God's love for you. Before God created this world, he knew your name. 
And when he created this world, he had your name on his heart. You know that word foreknew, when it says God foreknew, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God looked through the tunnel of time to see those who would choose him and then he would save them in response. No, no, in the Bible, to know someone is to love someone. When it says God foreknew us, it means that God foreloved us. God foreknowing us means God foreloving us. You could even say that you and I, we've been chosen according to the foreloving of God the Father. Isn't it beautiful that before time itself began, God had already set his heart on you. God does not say, I love you, but only if you obey me. Because he loved you from eternity past. The Father planned your salvation from eternity past. You know, our sin, it doesn't come as a surprise to God. It's not like that unexpected train that catches him off guard. No, God planned our salvation before we could do anything good or bad to deserve it or not. In Romans 9, Paul explains how it is that God chose Jacob over Esau before either of them were even born. And this is what he says. For though Rebekah's sons had not yet been born or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Friends, you see what Paul is saying? God planned our salvation before we had even been born, before we'd ever had the chance to do anything good or bad to deserve it or not. God has unconditionally chosen you in love. But sometimes it's easy to think that God is a bit like that sports captain from our PE class back in high school. Do you remember? Two captains stand up front and one by one they choose their teammates. And who do they choose? The fittest, the tallest, the fastest, the strongest. And who do they leave to the end? The smallest, the shortest, the slowest and the weakest. Well, if God is like that, what do we think? Why would God choose me? God wouldn't save me. Look at me. Look at my sin, my shame, my past, my baggage and my mistakes. Why would a God like him save someone like me? Why would he love someone like me? Friends, I want us to see that God saved you. Not because of you, but all because of him. He saved you because he loved you. And he loved you because he loved you. God's love really is unconditional. He planned your salvation from the beginning of time. Get this. He knew exactly what sort of person you would be with all your sin and all your shame and still... He chose to love you. Nothing you can do could make him love you more. And nothing that you've done could make him close the door. I want you to hear what one author writes. This is what he says, quote, 
Most Christians eventually ask why God saved them, and not their unbelieving mother, brother, friend or neighbour. That they toy with bad answers, like, God knew I'd choose him. God thought I might be helpful for his work on earth. God thinks I'm special. But if any of these answers were true, our salvation would depend on us. That can't be. The only answer to the question of why God saved you is because he loved you. You see, friends, when the father says, I love you, he doesn't mean I love you, but only if you obey me. No, when he says, I love you, he really means I love you. Because he planned your salvation from eternity past. But not every plan comes to fruition, does it? Indeed, not every plan for love comes to fruition. That the best of friendships can fall out over the smallest of faults, can't they? It's sad, but marriages which start so well can suddenly end in divorce. And gosh, right now, how many of us know the pain of plans that are frustrated by circumstance? Having a plan doesn't guarantee an outcome. I mean, the controller had a plan to save the train and his son, but that didn't work out, did it? The son had a plan to help his dad, and and that didn't work out either. Now, having a plan doesn't guarantee an outcome. Unless, of course, the one who plans and the one who acts is God himself. You see, friends, God the Father plans our salvation, and God the Son accomplishes our salvation. He accomplishes that plan. Uh, In John 10, Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. Now, don't know if you can tell, but I'm not much of a shepherd. In fact, I'm not that much of an animal person. I I quite like dogs. Uh, I've come to really love cats. But but when it comes to a loving relationship, I much prefer people. Look at what Jesus says about his love for us. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How does the Son accomplish our salvation? He lays down his life for you. He dies the death that you deserve. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. See, don't ever think that Jesus was somehow reluctant It's not like the father sacrificed the son, but the son didn't want to be sacrificed. It's not as if the father wanted to save us, but the son wanted to abandon us. No, look at what the son himself says in John 10, 17. This is why the father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. Chris, you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus was not reluctant to die for you. He wasn't backed into a corner with no choice and no options. And I can tell you, he certainly wasn't a hapless young boy who hopelessly falls into the gears of the drawbridge. No, Jesus willingly chose to die for you. Because just like the Father, 
the Son loved you from eternity past. You know, a good friend once told me, Adam, I really struggle to accept grace because I constantly feel guilty for what I've done to Jesus. Now, now on one level, I totally get it. It's right. We should feel convicted about our sin. But let's be very clear. Jesus wasn't some unwilling victim of your sin. It's not as if you and the God the Father somehow dragged God the Son kicking and screaming to the cross to die for you. No, Jesus willingly chose the cross to save you. The good shepherd chose to lay down his life for you. And if that's the case, when we reject grace out of guilt, we actually dishonor the gift that Jesus willingly and intentionally paid for us. When we reject grace out of guilt, we're saying that the gospel isn't enough. The Son willingly and joyfully accomplished the Father's plan to save you from your sins. Friends, can you see how beautiful this is? The Father and the Son share one plan and one love for one people. See, Jesus didn't die just to save anyone. No, he died to save you. Later in John 10, I want you to hear what Jesus says. This is what he says. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Friends, do you hear who Jesus died to save? Not anyone, not everyone, but the sheep the Father has given him. In John 17, we see that same phrase over and over again as Jesus prays for those you have given me. Do you see, everyone who the Father chooses, the Son saves. There is one God with one plan for one people. Well, we need to get this into the marrow of our bones. The Father and the Son have one plan to secure your salvation. It's remarkable when you think about it. Before he created the world, God the Father was thinking of you. And as he hung on the cross, God the Son was thinking of you. I used to think that Jesus didn't die specifically for me. I used to think that his love was, I guess, on offer at the cross, but it was then up to me. It was all on me to take him up on that offer. I thought that God kind of, he extended his hand to anyone and everyone, but it was then on me to reach out and grasp his hand. But, but if that's true, I, I can't actually say that Jesus willingly and intentionally died for me, can I? I can't say that Jesus actually accomplished my salvation. He may have enabled it, but he hasn't accomplished it. 
I think that's why growing up, I've always had a deeper sense that the Father loves me, but it's always been much harder to feel that Jesus loves me. It felt as if my salvation was like a gift that Jesus bought for someone and then put under the tree for anyone to open. But what I didn't realize was that my salvation is a gift that Jesus bought for me. It's a gift with my name written on it. Guys, I want you to know that there is a gift and it's the greatest gift in the world. Its value is beyond measure. It's so precious that God the Son bought this gift at the cost of his own life. And when you go to that tree and you look at that gift and you pick it up and you look at it closely, you will see that on it, Jesus has written your name. For Matthew, for Sarah, for Robert, for Yuli. Your salvation is a gift that God the Father planned from eternity past. And it's a gift that God the Son purchased at the cost of his own life. It's a gift not for just anyone. No, it's God's gift for you. I want you to think about that story we opened with of the bridge controller and his son. Just imagine that you're one of the passengers on that train. Without you realizing it, that controller just saved your life, but you have no relationship with him, do you? The controller, he loves his son, but let's face it, he doesn't love you. That The train passes over the bridge and goes on its merry way. But you don't know the controller. And the controller doesn't know you. He may have saved you from death, but all for one. What's to say there isn't another bridge? What's to say there isn't another tragedy that lies ahead? You see, in that terrible story, there is no assurance of our eternal salvation. What gives us eternal assurance of our eternal salvation? How can we be so sure that there isn't another bridge? What's to say that there isn't another tragedy that lies ahead? Well, friends, the Father who sent the Son to save you now sends the Spirit to seal you. The Spirit seals our salvation. He unites us with the Son. He connects us with Jesus. He makes us children of God. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Do you see, friends, the Spirit seals us and He seals us in the Son. He permanently unites us with Jesus. And when we're united with the Son, all that was forever His is now forever ours. And nothing can take that away. His blessings are now forever ours. His righteousness is now forever ours. And above all, 
His sonship is now forever ours. Jesus' relationship with the Father is now forever ours. The Father's love for Jesus is now forever ours. The Spirit unites us with the Son, and when we're connected with the Son, guess what? You and I become sons and daughters of God. We can now call God the Father. God our Father. Forever. I don't know uh, what word you use to address your father. My guess is that most of you probably just call him dad. I call my father Pa, which is the Mandarin word for dad. But look, here's my guess. I could be totally wrong, but here's my guess. Very few of us call our fathers father. It's a bit stiff. It's a bit formal, isn't it? Like, you know, hello, father. It's just no one actually says that. Because when we say dad, it's an intimate word, isn't it? It's a personal word. It's a word that shows that this person is not just any father. This person is my father. In Galatians 4, Paul writes, Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son, that's the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, in Aramaic, that word Abba is that intimate, personal word for dad. That the Spirit seals us with the Son. And now through our connection with the Son, you and I, we are children of God. We we can now call God Abba Father. We can call Him Pa. We can call Him Appa. Because He's not just God the Father. He's now God our Father. Forever. We can look at Him and call Him Dad. As an aside. Don't call him daddy. There's a line of respect and that probably crosses it. You see, I know that some of us don't have a lot of faith in our fathers. Some dads haven't walked with us. Instead, they've walked away from us. Instead of accepting us, they've abandoned us. And for, some, for so many people, even dads who were physically present, may not have been actively loving. And if that's your experience, I want you to know that the Spirit seals you with God as your Father forever. The Spirit guarantees that God the Father will be God your Father, and He will never walk away, and He will never abandon you. The Father who chose you and sent his son to save you, sends his spirit to seal you with him forever. In Ephesians 1.14, we read that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. He is the guarantee, the, the eternal security of God's love and our salvation. You know, deep down, I think all of us are afraid of living a loveless life. Some people think that to be unmarried means to be unloved. Some people think that a dating relationship will provide that love. Some people think that only marriage will secure that love. But none of that's true. I want you to hear this. 
if you are saved by the triune God, single, married or dating, you cannot live a loveless life. It's simply impossible. The Spirit guarantees that we can't live a loveless life. The Spirit secures us into a life of love. The Spirit seals us into that eternal love between the Father and the Son. I want you to listen to how Jesus prays for you. I want you to hear how Jesus prays to God the Father for you. This is what he says. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. That the world may know that you have sent me and here it is. That you have loved them as you have loved me. That you have loved them as you have loved me. You see, friends, the Spirit seals our salvation so that now the Father loves you just like He loves His Son. Just stop and think about that for a moment. The love that exists within the Trinity is now yours to enjoy. The Spirit doesn't just extend that love to you. No, He includes you. He brings you into that love. The Spirit who binds the love between the Father and the Son now binds that love between the Father, the Son and you. And that's a love that will never let you go. The Father who chose you in love sent His Son to save you in love. And He sent His Spirit to seal you into that love forever. For all of us who are saved by God, we cannot live a loveless life. Let me tell you, a different story. There was once a God who existed before time itself began. He existed as Father, Son and Spirit. And all three persons were perfectly happy and perfectly content. Every moment before time existed was pure joy and undiminished love. And yet, the love within God was so great that he decided to create a people with whom he might share it. In fact, he would create a people whom he would love so much. In fact, he would love them as much as he loved his own son. He didn't need to, but he wanted to. And he wanted to demonstrate his love for these people in the most remarkable, in the most beautiful of ways. And so he thought to himself, what gift can I give that will demonstrate the extent of my love for these people? I know. I'll give them my son. I will give them my son to die for them. And I'll give them my spirit to seal them in my love.
forever. Then, then they'll know how much I love them. Then they'll know I love them just like my own. I love that story. I love that story. Friends, why don't you take a moment now in the silence of your hearts to reflect on God's love for you. And then in a moment, we'll respond in prayer and praise. Take a moment to do that now. God, our Father, we praise you for the gift of your Son, that in his death you demonstrate your love for us, and by your Spirit you seal us in your love forever. Amen.